There we go. All there right, we... that works. Yeah. Yeah, Fuck. I guess it defaults to, because it was defaulting to, like, do you want to call her landline whenever you're on Do Not Disturb? Yeah. So, that's okay. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the one place where Simon and Garfunkel are certain it's not happening. Someone told me it's all happening at the zoo. I do believe it. I do believe it's true. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Ingle, and today we are going to be covering a couple of, well, we're not going to be covering a couple, we're going to be covering an episode of Green Lantern from the series that ran from June 1990 until November 2004. In fact, we're going to be covering Green Lantern number 82, where Kyle gets his first crack at being a dad. Well... Not really. He's just babysitting for Donna as she has to go off and do oh, legal things to make sure her whole divorce thing works out. But today I am very blessed to have one of my favorite podcasters on with me to cover this issue. Ladies and gentlemen, back again for the umpteenth time. I'm glad to have back Mr. Thomas DJ. Hey, Thomas, how's it going? Excuse me for a minute, Sean. I got to fight off this tiger. <laughs> uh, let's let's just realize just realize that it's protecting its cub you don't need to ring up a spear to try and jab the tiger that's been living wait in the a minute zoo. it's been hanging out of my i have a whole tiger brood hanging out of my apartment wow how did that happen you need to tell siegfried and roy to get the hell out of your <laughs> complex well this is just roy now <laughs> yeah that's true yeah, that's true i think it is just roy too soon guys <laughs> yes because everyone on this show was just was just uh, completely upset when Siegfried passed away okay well that was awkward uh, but yes we're going to be covering Greenlander number 82 talking about that no extra coverage this time but we'll get back to more secondary coverage and some Guy Gardner books the next time but uh, as usual, I'm going to go ahead and take a little break here, plug a promo for a certain podcast, probably a Two True Freaks mandated one. And when we get back, we'll get on to our coverage of Green Lantern number 82. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! It's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Help me! R2! This is where the fun begins. Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Throughout its history, people have found this place disquieting. Strange and unexplained phenomena run rampant, so much so that it's been called the city that lives by night. And the city that lives by night 
needs a darker form of protector. Black Talon. Please don't kill me! You tell them all, Nocturne is the Talon's hunting ground. Your kind had best look elsewhere for prey. Nightbreaker. What was this? Some sort of joke? No! Gloria, this sounds crazy, I know, but she did shoot me. Something happened. I'm still not sure what, but people don't recognize unless I truly concentrate on their wanting to see me. It's like I'm invisible. Fairyman. The ghost you refer to have done more for me than you two have. They've given me my sight back. <laughs> They've given me better than my sight back. Dreamcatcher. Witches, warlocks, mages, magicians, shamans. Call us what you like. It's all the same. We've helped when we can, eluded those too ignorant to understand that magic isn't evil. And it's made us sensitive to others who have magic running in their veins. A quartet of heroes standing together must face a new menace. This can be painless, you know. You ain't putting the front on me, Slag. Just tell your shot, yeah? I was hoping you'd say that. Who is going to use the roughest elements of the city? You that rose red bitch? That's right. I'm not even mad at you for adding the bitch part. Because I am. And I know you guys are some of the nastiest, toughest, roughest, meanest bastards in this town. Am I right? Yeah! yeah! Good, because I have need of you. To send this city... Come on! This ends tonight. Down New Roads to Hell. New Roads to Hell, the first Shadow Legion adventure by Thomas DJ. A new novel coming soon from Airship 27. For more information, including character sketches and behind-the-scenes information... Visit the Nocturne Travel Agency at welcometonocturne.blogspot.com and airship27.com. Wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com And we are back. So let's go ahead and start into coverage of Green Lantern number 82. It was cover dated January 1997 and released on November 6, 1996. Cover price, again, was $1.75 US and $2.50 Canada. The title was Adventures in Babysitting. Hopefully, Vincent D'Onofrio won't show up as Thor in this one. But the, I'll be all for Elizabeth Shue showing up. Oh, yes, I would too. Ow. Okay. <laughs> 
Yes, Elizabeth Shue was hot. Uh, the writer was Ron Mars. The show was so hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're off the rail. Pensler was Tom Grindberg this time out. Uh, Inker was Romeo Tangal and Bill Anderson. Colorist was Pat- Pamela Rambo. Letterer was Ken Lopez. Associate editor, Eddie Braganza. And zookeeper, uh, again with the goofy titles, Kevin Doody- Dooley. <laughs> Kevin Doody. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. Okay, there you go. Our story opens at the Warriors Bar, where the three former Green Lanterns, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, and Alan Scott, are joined by current Green Lantern Kyle Rayner in celebrating the commemorative statue of Hal Jordan being placed at the bar. As the quartet toasts Hal's memory, Guy pokes fun at Kyle's age, while Kyle marvels at being in such an august, if not over-the-hill, company. Kyle asks the group what Hal was like before, and the trio regales him with the tales of their adventures with their former comrade until the wee hours of the morning. Calling it a night, the group grows their separate ways, with Guy telling Kyle that he's always welcome back at the Warriors' bar. Alan flies back to Gotham, while Kyle and John decide to walk back to their respective apartments. On his way home, Kyle thinks about how he's not only carrying on Hal's legacy, but the legacy of all the Greenlanders. But before he makes it to his apartment, Kyle runs into a couple of street thugs trying to hold up a jewelry merchant. Kyle rings up his costume and smashes the thugs with a construct ogre. Grateful for the rescue, the jeweler offers Kyle a small emerald for his assistance, which Kyle reluctantly takes as he heads off for home and bed. Cut to the next morning, where Kyle is sleeping soundly until he rolls over and sees the face of a young child. The two share a moment of terror until Kyle realizes that the kid is Robert, Donna Troy's young son, who Donna brought over to have Kyle watch while she speaks with the judge about visitation rights. Kyle says he's not too good with kids, but Donna mentions that if he wants some happy time with Wonder Girl, he needs to step up. After a quick mention of a new group calling himself the Titans, Donna leaves Robert in care of the unprepared Kyle. Giving each other the once-over, Kyle offers up the idea of going to the zoo to Robert, and the toddler wholeheartedly agrees. At the zoo, Kyle and Robert look at the various animals as Kyle offers up some hippy-dippy eco-babble about how the animals are prisoners and something like that. Well, not really. Robert is not impressed with Kyle's palpum and would rather find a pretty stone for his mommy. Kyle relents and lets Robert look around while he chillaxes on a nearby park bench, getting lost in his thoughts about his parents. Of course, that small amount of time is all it takes for Robert to run off and Kyle to freak out because he lost his girlfriend's kid. Changing to Green Lantern, Kyle takes the air to seek out the lost boy and ends up finding him. In the middle of the Siberian tiger habitat. Where else? Snatching Robert up, Kyle rings up his shield to deflect the pounce of the white tiger, but Robert slips out of his grasp trying to retrieve the stone he found for his mommy. Kyle creates a spear to finish off the tiger, but Robert begs him not to as he shows Kyle that the tiger was just protecting her cubs. Realizing that he overreacted, Kyle flies Robert out of the zoo and back to his apartment, much to the boy's chagrin as the stone he had collected was lost. Some time has passed, and Donna makes it back to the apartment to pick up her son. Leaping into her arms, Robert hands Mommy the stone that he found, a tiny emerald, the one that Kyle got for helping the jeweler. Slyly smiling, Kyle tells Donna that what went on today was their secret, but whenever she needs a babysitter, he's her man. 
back on Ron, Colin Farrell. Farron Kolos and Goliath Zed are working on the reconstruction of the city while the two are bemoaning the fact that they could have finished the job if they were only Green Lanterns. The two part ways, saying that they'll see each other tomorrow. But as Zed walks away, he's approached by a shadowy figure that asks his name, and upon confirming who he is, blasts a hole through his giant mad ball head. Okay, Thomas, what kind of notes and what kind of thoughts do you have on this issue? This is one of my favorite issues of the Ron Mars run. Nice. This is one. I And the thing is, there's no big threat. It's just Kyle hanging out with the kid mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for the bulk of it. Um, this is, in fact, if you remember when we first started talking, this was an issue I specifically pointed out that I wanted to cover with you. Oh, yeah. And so, I'm, I was kind of I was kind of puzzled because it really doesn't have anything to do uh, emotionally with Kyle and Donna. They're pretty settled. There is no really big bad in it. I mean, he's fighting a tiger. All Kyle really needs to do is rescue Robert and fly away. Right. There's no real reason for any sort of you know antagonism between Kyle and the animal. And aside from the little uh, cliffhanger at the end, there's not much violence going on in the story. It's it is a kind of compact story, so I was kind of wondering, you know, why well, this would be so interesting. This would have you know, so I'm a product of a blended family, mm-hmm. so I know what it's like to have this new person enter your mom's life and having to get used to them. Mm-hmm. I think that he captured this pretty well. I think that, other than the fact that he compressed it to like one day, yeah, where everybody's buddy buddy. Um, I think that. It does actually say a lot about the relationship between Kyle and Donna as they are now, is that they are moving to the next level. And it's not like, I don't know, another writer, artist is going to come along and snatch Donna away from this book, right? They're <laughs> going to be going on for, for, for years, right? Oh, yeah, of course there is. There's, there's not going to be anyone who's writing a certain uh, Amazonian character who's going to say that, oh, no, you can't use Donna Troy in your book because I want to have her for myself. Mine, mine, mine. No, that won't happen. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I just think it's, it's really well done. It, it shows that Mars has an understanding of human interaction that a lot of writers these days could learn from. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it shows a great deal of continuity with what's going on in the DC universe. I mean, look at the, for a change, look at how Ron Mars handles guy in this issue exactly well that's one of the things that i was really impressed with is is mm-hmm. the introduction sort of of the green lantern family yeah that got at the beginning of this with with the former green lanterns you know being sort of mentors for guy or not for guy for kyle right and i i love that kyle will be able to to come to these people and converse with them and be able to share uh, secrets or problems with them mm-hmm. and have that kind of mentorship with them. It's a, it's a great thing. And yes, uh, Mars is a, is uh, one of those writers who didn't revert guy back to the sort of goofy. I mean, I know we've JLI got a ways status. to go mm-hmm. before we get to this, but there's going to be a time when we're going to, when we're in the middle of the Judd Winnick run mm-hmm. 
and you and I are going to look at the scenes where Judd has Guy in it and compare them to the scenes where Ron has Guy in it, and you'll notice that there's a world of difference. Yeah, I, I think I think Ron Mars, if he wasn't at least paying attention to what was going on in the Guy Gardner book, he had at least some knowledge of it, and he's taken the sort of calm and grace that was given to Guy by Bo Smith and put it forward in his characterization of him in this book. So, yeah. Uh, do you want to go page by page? Or do you have anything that's, else? If you want to do that, that's fine. That's okay. fine. We start uh, with um, that shot yeah. of uh, Hal, Hal Jordan, the statue. Mm-hmm. Now that is a really nice looking piece of artwork. I, I'm, in fact, it's uh, what I really like about it is that uh, in the image here you can see the reflection mm-hmm. on the glass of Hal's mask. And it, uh, Grindberg isn't an artist that I'm that familiar with. But... Yeah, he was at this time doing a lot of work for the Superman books. Oh, okay, it's impressive, and he's got the he does have that sort of physicality uh, that I think you'd probably see in the Superman books. Hal here looks a bit. He looks buff. Of course, he's yeah. you know just trying to flex his bicep here. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Probably um, for a lady, <laughs> as Hal would. Yes. Uh, I want to mention on the cover. The cover is the only thing that kind of is off on mm-hmm. on the book because the perspective of where things are put it it looks kind of flat. The tiger yeah. is on this branch, which is supposed to be behind Kyle. But he's reaching in front of Kyle's shield, which is in between the tiger and the branch. And it's all just it's it's a nice looking it's nice looking artwork, but it it really looks kind of flat the way it's put. Right. So but other than that, you want to move on. Yeah. Moving on to page two and three. Like I said, this is the beginning of the Green Lantern family. And mm-hmm. if th- this is like I said, it's a interesting concept. And it's a great way for Kyle, if he ever needs advice or whatever in doing heroic things, he's got people to come to. He's got people to talk to. And uh, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, and as we see when we get even get towards the tail end of Ron Moore's run, he makes it even more aversely a family by bringing Jade into the mix. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, making, ba- making ba- literally making Alan into an in-law. Yep. Which I which I think is nice that, well, it's not so nice because it means the breakup of Kyle and Donna, which uh, you mm-hmm. know, like spoilers, and uh, that's going to happen. But, no, no, they're going. Didn't you remember the the the, the Kyle and Donna wedding? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was retconned by Dan DiDio. You you seem to forget that. So oh, DiDio. Uh we can blame all of the ills and comic demandi to Dio. Why not? Um, but yeah, it does. It is nice that we get these former Lanterns here who are willing to be a family for Kyle. So that's, right. you know, especially since Kyle seems to be kind of distant from his family. I mean, he mentioned in earlier issues that he doesn't really have a good relationship with his mom and right. in the whole, Although we're, uh, we're going to meet her in about what, about two or three months, I think. Right. I'm thinking I'm trying to remember and see, it has been so long since I've read this yeah. and I'm not reading ahead yet. So mm-hmm. I will have to start doing that so I can get a better prepared for this. But yeah, uh, it, it's, it's an, it's a brilliant idea and it's really well executed here by Mars. Well, there's always, and and not to get too personal, um, 
you know, my, my, my natural father did a lot of terrible things to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I still, to this day, struggle with it. But there was a long time when I thought I wasn't going to start my own family. I was consciously not going to start it. But then I met a great man, a writer by the name of Andrew Vox, who is a lawyer who specializes in child protective services and uh, is an advocate for, ch- for um, child protection. And he, in a conversation with me, said something that he said that people have two families in their lives. The family that they're born into, that they have no choice about, and the family that they create when they become an adult. Mm-hmm. And this is Kyle creating a family as an adult in a rather unconventional way because not everybody gets a magic wishing ring. <laughs> True, but but it works, and it's it's a great way to to have him create this family that is a better substitute for the family they grew up with. And I, I didn't know that about it, but that's a, that's a wonderful parallel. That's a wonderful idea. Then. Yeah. I mean, we saw him try to fit into an already extant consensual family mm-hmm. in the teen Titans. And that didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, this one works out because I think that there is a bond between the, between these four men. A, a shared commonality of experience, much like the Titans work for Donna because Donna had a shared commonality of experience mm-hmm. with Nightwing and Kid Flash and all of those characters. It makes sense. Like you said, uh, moving on to page four, uh, Ron Mars gets Guy Gardner. He mm-hmm. gets him down perfectly. His voice, his voice is great. And, uh, he he says all the things that you would expect Bo Smith to put in his mouth, but it's coming from Ron Mars. So uh, again, as a writer, I've I'm so happy that Ron Mars is getting right guy, and he's not you know reverting him to the whole JLI thing. This is really enjoyable. I don't really have any notes until page seven after that, mm-hmm. uh, with a cow. Uh, you know, going down the streets of New York City, and right. well, isn't there the what I find there is the the funny thing that the, there's that anecdote that's referred to. Okay. The recruitment drive, and of course, you know how got the three of them in trouble. <laughs> you know that. Oh yes. Because it's a lady. Let me flex for you, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's never happened. Hal has never, you Hal's know, like throw, a... thrown his friends under the bus for the. Uh, for the love of a woman. That's never happened. Well, <laughs> well that's okay. because that's because Hal thinks. No, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> no, I will. I will. Hal likes to. F- <laughs> uh, yes, he does. Um, there goes our explicit tag, people. Thanks. Yay. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Um, I was going to say it's it, it's hard to believe. But on like I said, on page seven, there's muggers on a street in New York city, get out of town. But also and during I, Giuliani's time, no less. I know. And well, the, and also the streets are, are so deserted. Now I went to, uh, the only time I've been up to New York city was well before. Well, it might've been during Giuliani's time. I th- want to say it was like the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And, even going around New York City at night, because uh, our friend by us took to wanted to take us to some restaurant, I think in Queens, and 
all the time he was like, okay, after we got off the subway, okay, we need to walk. We need to walk quickly. And it, it wasn't a feeling of, of dread, but it was just a feeling of we need to get somewhere urgently. And there were, even walking around at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, there were people on the streets pretty much everywhere. Yeah, New, that's the thing. People, New York is one of those places, and I can say this having lived all my life, where there is activity all the time. And that's that's the thing that's kind of peculiar here is that Kyle seems to be walking down the street, and the only people he runs into are these two thugs who are trying to rob this person. Now it may just be for sake now, of convenience. Has I'm trying to think if if Bo ever established where Warriors was exactly. I know he put it. I know he gave the address number as uh, twenty eight fourteen, but I don't think he ever gave a street address. That's a long walk because twenty eight fourteen means that it's probably uptown. So a walk from there to Greenwich would be a pretty you know, couple of hours. Yeah. Oh, holy cow! Because okay, give you an idea. The the MTV building, which is right there in Times Square, is fifteen fifteen Broadway. Okay. So you figure twenty eight fourteen is way way up. We're talking about probably around maybe let me let's be charitable maybe around where Columbia University is, which is okay. right at the edge of Harlem. That yeah, that is quite a way. That's got to be at least a mile. Uh, well, if you, if you consider uh, each city block to be a hundred, yeah, that's quite a ways. That's one hundred twenty fifth Street to about. I think that he it, it was established that he's right around the corner from where Doctor Strange's place is supposed to be. And Doctor Strange's place is on Sullivan Street, just off West Fourth Street. See, this is going to be fascinating to people who are living in. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, guys. But, but to people, people like me who live in you know BFE, Oklahoma, we're going to be going. Um, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> uh, see, but. Uh, it's nice it's nice if they can have this sort of continuity and especially in a city that's New York City, not Metropolis or Gotham, that they can have this sort of layout where you can actually say, okay, this is here and this right. is here. I know where this is. Because I, I know you have complained many times in various forms of media how uh, when they when people do New York City, they don't get the layout of it right. You know what else is weird? Okay, this is, this is also weird. It just occurred to me. There's that reference to you. Yeah, they call this the Diamond District just for fun. Mm-hmm. The Diamond District is on 46th, 47th, 48th Street between 6th and 8th Avenue. Okay. Which is Midtown. So while Ron Mars may have gotten Guy Gardner right, he's gotten New York geography fucked up. <laughs> um, oh, well. It wouldn't be the first time. That's true, but he needs to be there because he has to get the emerald of power. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it's kind of a odd coincidence that, uh, or or a sort of happy coincidence, I guess, that the thugs tend to be stealing from a person who's carrying emeralds. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not saying it's ironic because it's not ironic. It's just an odd coincidence. It's ironic, don't you think? Yes, it's just like a little bit ironic on your wedding. <laughs> Which is not ironic. It's sad. Yes. Uh, they should have called that song Bummers. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, page eight. Mm-hmm. 
I know that the gunmen call the, that a monster, but that's not a monster. That's a monster. <laughs> you, it, you know the difference, right? Yes. Okay. It's it's it's, it's a badly <laughs> just. At least Kyle admits to it in the, the narration box. He's like, I, it's luck. These guys are lucky that I'm so tired, or else they'd have something really horrific to deal with. It looks like. Yeah. I hate to say it, I played a lot of World of Warcraft. It looks like a bad character, a bad boss from a World of Warcraft fight. It's 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 like cut rate Harryhausen ogre here. So yeah, not one of Kyle's best constructs. And the next note I have is uh, Kyle waking up to see Robert, which. Surprisingly enough, as a father, I've had this happen as well. I mean, even though I know I have children, I will have sometimes my daughter will come in there and I'll be half asleep and she'll be like, Daddy, it's time to go to school. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> so it's a scene I love like the this fact time. that Robert goes straight for mommy's leg. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's only he's only supposed to be three years old, so that's not. He looks a little older, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and his his speech pattern is pretty sophisticated for a three year old. I will say, if she didn't specifically say he was three years old, I would have placed him at about four or five. Yeah, like well, basically, he... like maybe pre K. Yeah, and I think that would probably work a little better. But yeah, he does look a little old for three. But I I, I don't think it matters so much in the book, but. Mm-hmm. It, it, but he's got great facial. I mean, Grinberg gives him some great facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will admit the, uh, the the facial expressions in the book are really good, especially you know on looking on this page ten, Kyle's kind of look at terror as he sees the kid, which is not something you know as a pseudo bachelor you would expect to be in your apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when you're in your little goofy boxers too. Yeah. Well, and that that moves to page eleven, where uh, Donna gets all grabby on that. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, she's like, you know, if you want to get any of any of this wonder nookie, you'd better <laughs> take care of my kid for the day. And she's just full around grabbing his ass. Oh there. gosh, yes. So yeah, she's not. Uh... So apparently, I guess legal action makes her hot. <laughs> e. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> Moving on after after Donna leaves and oh oh wait before no, we leave page eleven okay yes the reference to the Titans yes this is what I wanted to ask you because I've seen the ads in the book yes for the Teen is... Titans which none of the characters I know who the hell they are okay I mean it's not even Arsenal and Damage level of characters who are these people okay um after the crash and burn of the new titans um they still wanted to have a titans book and they went to dan jurgens because dan jurgens thanks to the superman books at the time was you know really hot and the original idea was he wanted to have donna and nightwing because they wanted to have all new characters okay so but he wanted to have donna and nightwing has their mentors but he was he was told by um that i think it's the same editor who Marvel then refuses to talk, refuses to, to name, mm-hmm. um, that he could not have any old Titans characters. And he actually had to kind of sneak Lilith Clay in 
by pretending she was a mysterious character called Omen and only revealing who she was several issues in. Um, the characters are um, Risk, who was just a jerk. He just had like enhanced powers. He was from Kentucky. He was a, he was a jerk. Prism, who had kind of ill-defined light powers and had the see-through skin. Okay. Johto, who is my favorite of the characters. Johto was Isaiah Crockett. Dan Jerkins intentionally wanted to create a young African-American character who was not a gangbanger or a thug. So he created Johto to be a good college student and all that. And he named his powers where he was able to channel heat. He couldn't, like, set things on fire, but he could channel waves of heat through his body. And Johto is the Swahili word for heat. However, in certain Latin American countries, it also means the tip of the penis. <laughs> Oops. So, they, Johto died... <laughs> Although he Isaiah Crockett got brought back rather quickly, and they never referred to his code name again. Oh Lord! And finally, the one that lasted the longest and is still kind of still kind of kicked around the DC universe for a long time is Argent. Mm-hmm. Uh, who that's is the little? That's the silver skin girl. She has this sort of plasma, kind of like. Iceman, in a way, only with silver plasma instead of ice. Okay. So she could use the plasma to, like, you know, she could shoot this plasma and she could fly around on it and stuff. And there was a, a fifth character called Fringe who was just this, like, big hulking Hulk type guy. Um, and, yeah, it, it lasted about two years. Hmm. It, it didn't do too well. Eventually, after the first year, Jurgens began to introduce uh, what was... Uh, Arsenal, who at that time was being called Red Arrow. They introduced us uh, Captain Marvel Jr., who at the time was being called CM3. Yeah, because the whole thing with his name, he couldn't say it. Or... Yeah, the latest, you know, the latest digital encoding method <laughs> um, is CM3. I, I, I buy all my music on CM3. Yes, yes, because it, it's so much better, so much lossless. It, yeah, exactly. But but yeah no but I, I like the fact that that Mars does make the reference to it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, it's, go ahead, go ahead. And well, and, and Donna would have to be kind of concerned because there's a group out there she knows nothing of that's taking the name of her old team. So yeah, right. And the fact that you know she's having she and Nightwing are looking into it is a nice sort of just a nice little nod. That I, I wonder if on. that's a reference to what Dan originally had intended because like I said, Dan Jurgens. And, and he turned. He's a very nice guy. I, I've I've um, exchanged emails with him in the past. He's actually he's really a swell guy. And um, I wonder if Ron knew about the original intention that it was going to be Donna and Dick mentoring these four kids. Hmm. And this was kind of like his way of tipping the hat to to Dan. It could have been. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Ron Mars seems to be that kind of person who would at least make friendly relationships, or at least have a knowledge of what's going on in the uh, greater DC universe with uh, certain writers. That he'd probably do something to that effect. It, it's kind of shown in the way he treats guys. So I could imagine that he would 
take that uh, idea that Dan, what Dan was supposed to do with the Titans and uh, run with that. There you go. I'm moving on to page 12, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is just a great little subtle moment. We get a the the fifth and sixth panel, the yeah the fifth and sixth panel here where Kyle's eyeing up Robert and he has no idea what to do. So what does he do? He does what even parents like myself would do when we don't know how to take care of the kid. Take them somewhere where they'd like to go. Let's go to the right. zoo. So yeah, I, uh, I've done that before. Hey, uh, uh, you're tired, bored, want to go do something? We'll go to the zoo. Okay. Right. And and uh, it's nice to get out. You know, I, I I we actually have a really nice zoo here in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. but I've never been to the Central Park Zoo. How how was it it's... around this time? Around this time, it was a little bit of crap, to be honest. In fact, this zoo looks more like one of like the Bronx Zoo or the uh, Flushing Meadow Zoo. Okay. To be totally honest, in the way it seems to be laid out, uh, for one thing, we, they don't ha- they didn't have a Siberian tiger habitat. Okay. And most of the cages were indoors for the fact that, of course, it's New York, which means that the the winters were are brutal here. Mm-hmm. Um. In fact, the thing that Central Park Zoo is most known for is not its, you know, its um, African animals, but its uh, Arctic animals. Because we have like a polar bear, we have a polar bear habitat, we've got a penguin habitat. Oh, okay. You know, a lot of the the, the colder weather animals. We're, we're actually, but it was a little bit of crap in okay. the night. Yeah. The... And by the way, there was no emission. It was a free. Really? It was a. It was free to the public at the time. I don't know if it still is. Okay. Which is why I find it funny that there's an admission. Um, yeah, well, and looking at that here, the admission sign kind of looks pasted in. It, it yeah. doesn't really look yeah, – I'm not saying it's Photoshop, but it looks kind of it was like put there last minute. So I don't know whether or not it was or you know, I'm not saying whether it was. Yeah, but it, it does look kind of off in that one panel. But yeah, yeah. – the the zoo that we had here has made uh, at the time when I was a kid was the same sort of thing. A lot of the animals were just in small cages. There really mm-hmm. wasn't much of a habitat for them. Now they've kind of uh, because Oklahoma City has just boatloads of land, you right. know, to spread out in. They've done a lot to expand the zoo and make the habitats for the animals a lot more friendly they're able to get and move around and they've got activities to do so mm-hmm. it, it, it's nice that he's taking them out to the zoo and yeah you know, i mean it just seems like like the bronx zoo is like that it, it's a very expansive area well and that's that's nice that they've got something like that especially on you yeah. know if it's on the island of manhattan i'm assuming mm-hmm. and you know that there's a uh, the, that space is a premium there so yeah. that they have enough area to give these animals a place to kind of spread out and yeah. not have to have them in just cages. That's that's kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, moving on to page 14, here's the part in the story that, again, as a parent, I can relate to. You know, you're sitting down there, your kid's doing something, you know, you get distracted for half a second, and mm-hmm. then the kid is gone. Although I love the fact, the two things I love. First off, I love the facial expressions here. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that Ron is while well, Ron is Mars is willing to accept that Kyle has grown quite a bit since he started this journey. He still occasionally behaves like a cock. Yes, because here he is. He said they go like, hmm, hmm. 
Hi, there's nothing to this parenting. <laughs> I am so cool. I'm the best. I'm the best father ever. Look at me. Yeah. Oh, and see, I love on that fifth panel on page 14, the disapproving mother with her little toddler looking at this mm-hmm. guy from the background. It's like <laughs> it's and it's one of the things that you will get if you are a parent and something goes wrong. There will always be someone who's like far superior to you just right around the corner. Like you didn't know where your kid was. You let him go run off. And it's like, oh, those people irk me but yes this does happen i have had you know uh, it, it it hasn't been like at the zoo you know it's been and even to this day with my daughters being a bit older i'll tell them wait right here you know you can look around don't go running off next thing i know they're in the middle of the mall they've gone to an entirely different store or whatever so yeah, this but is. At least you watch your kids. I'm like some of the people I see in, in, in the store all day. Oh yes, and people let their kids run. Around. I I'm sorry, I cannot do that. I, if my kids are acting up or running around or being nuisances, they they get sent to the car. Or they get to sit outside or whatever. I I can't I can't handle that. You know, my I also kids like by the me. way, last panel of this page, mm-hmm. the monkey reaction. <laughs> What? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. But, you know, Kyle, you know, at least despite this moment of, you know, self-indulgence of how awesome mm-hmm. he is, Kyle realizes that he needs to step up. And he's, you know, he had a responsibility. And the whole, I think, arc that Braun Mars has taken from Kyle right. starting out has been him accepting responsibility and uh, trying to make the best of it. So I think this is again, another example of that. Of course, Kyle is not all that responsible as he on page 15 transforms into green lantern right in front of this one woman who's like staring up at him. So, well, you know, once again, I think it's just indicative of the fact that Kyle doesn't really, his secret identity isn't much of a secret identity. Yeah, I guess, you know, it does, it does kind of make you wonder why he wears the, the mask all the time because guy. Tradition. Never, yeah, I guess so. But uh, Robert stumbles in to perhaps the worst place that he could possibly stumble into, a tiger habitat. Now, here's the thing I, I don't quite understand here, all right? We're looking at the tiger habitat on the bottom of page 15, right? Yep. And it's got this big wooden fence. Mm-hmm. How did little old Robert get over that big wooden fence? <laughs> Maybe he's got some, you know, maybe he's got some Wonder Girl uh, okay. you know, Amazonian strength in him. Point taken. <laughs> he leapt over the fence, you know. Uh, the, I'll try a no prize it that way. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm glad that uh, Robert knows that Kyle is Green Lantern, and so he's not freaked out by the fact that... But why wouldn't he be freaked out that he got in a tiger habitat? I don't think he realizes. Remember, he can't read. Oh, yeah, that's true. He's only three. But, you know, he he does know. And here's another thing. He's looking for rocks. He's looking for stones to give it to his mom. And that's another, uh, to Mars's credit, that's another thing that kids will do. Kids want to give their parents presents and things that they think are interesting. They think that their parents will think are interesting. They, they, They love trying to get their parents uh, 
something that, that, you know, like they said, something that they will find interesting. They want to share it with them. And even if it's something silly like, oh, look, there's this interesting rock or look, I found this this pine cone. Look how neat it is. They want to share it with you. And it's their way of interacting with their parents. And I, I like mm-hmm. that Ron Mars is able to do that characterization with this kid. So it's uh, and also, I, I think he catches the idea that the kids tend to be a little bit obsessive. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I can, uh, again, come back to being a father myself, kids get obsessed on... Uh, I, I've, I, I cannot tell you the number of times that we've had to tell my younger daughter, look, we will go do this eventually. Just, you know, we know you want to do this now, but give us a minute. We, we haven't even gotten dressed. We haven't even done this. Hold your horses. We will go do this because they get something set in their minds and they have to do it. They have to do it. They have to do it. So yeah, obsessiveness in kids is, is not uncommon. Page 16. It's, uh, it's disappointing to see that Desmond from the uh, guy Gardner issue has uh, fallen on hard times and now has to spend his time in the uh, tiger habitat. But I guess <laughs> if you, if you got to have a job, you got to do something. So you got to, but yeah, the whole or, or or maybe this is his wife. Ooh, that that. <laughs> now I don't want to think about that. <laughs> we don't. Know. I'm not gonna go there. Uh, but on page seventeen, the the artwork for the tiger. Sometimes artists have problems drawing animals, and this right. isn't. This isn't bad. It's a little awkward. The the leap here, the arms look a bit too human. I think right. the way they're sort of, sort of trying to grab at Kyle, but it, it's nice artwork throughout. And, and of course, oh. Kyle rings up a sort of Zulu shield to mm-hmm. to fend off the tiger. But that leads, of course, to uh, the. Uh, ever so brilliant child saying that, look, Kitty's just protecting her cubs. So it's a nice little moment. That's not really necessarily preachy, but it's one of those things where I think it could have been completely avoided. If Kyle just popped in there, grabbed up Robert and uh, popped right out, but they had a few pages to fill and it's nice to have, and there had to be a fight. Yeah. There had to be some sort of fight in the book. So, yeah, it is what it is, but it gives Kyle a chance to uh, create a giant ring construct elephant, I guess. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and a little baby flying elephant too. That's true. That uh, that and the little baby flying elephant, uh, he could have made it look like Dumbo, I think. But I think mm-hmm. he made it look more like one of those uh, sort of uh, carousel ride elephants, or uh, you know, just one of those little. Uh, Twenty-five cent ride things that the kids would ride on, so it's fun. And and also moving on like that on page nineteen, I like the uh, Tarzan swing that Kyle does, mm-hmm. leaps away from the tiger. So that's kind of cool. Yay, fun! <laughs> <laughs> of course, whenever I, I see that line, for some reason I think of Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, uh, Pee Wee Herman. Then back at the apartment, Kyle has ringed up some toys for uh, Robert to play with, including mm-hmm. a really cool stealth airplane. Yeah. Nice. And, of course, a dinosaur, because kids love dinosaurs. What <laughs> of course. doesn't love dinosaurs? And uh, I will have to say, though, on this page 20, um, 
Kyle hoping to have uh, Robert keep the secret of what's going on from his mom. It ain't going to happen. Kids cannot kiss. Four hours, maybe. Yeah, if that. You know, he will. I'm assuming Robert will tell his mom all, everything that happened on the way home. And this will probably lead to just an incredible amount of fallout between Donna and Kyle. You let my child get where? He was in a tiger. What? <laughs> but uh, that leads us to the last couple of pages where. Uh, Colin Farrell and Madball Head are dealing with all the. I would pay. <laughs> I would buy a Dark Star book if Colin Farrell playing the character he played in Horrible Bosses I have not was seen, a Dark Star. I have not seen Horrible Bosses, but I recently watched um, Seven Psychopaths, which I thought mm. it was um, the best Quentin Tarantino movie not done by Quentin Tarantino that I've seen in a long time. It had that sort of quirky uh, Tarantino feel feel to it mm-hmm. uh and i'd i'd recommend it i thought it was a pretty good movie uh but uh I, I have not seen horrible bosses yet i think that's on instant watch i may have to put that in my queue but uh um, yeah well he he has in in horrible bosses he has this heroically ugly comb over <laughs> uh see and that's that's odd because uh well, maybe that's a bit of a stretch for Colin Farrell because he always seems to play the uh, very well-groomed, very handsome, rugged characters in most of his movies. So if he's willing to play uh, a character that's not all that uh, attractive, that's that's kind of neat. But uh, back to the book, we get Zed and them bemoaning the fact that they can't fix Ron. So I'm glad that there's still kind of a callback to what happened with uh, Kyle in issue 75 and saving uh, the planet or saving the city of Ranagar and the reconstruction of that. And although I really could care less about the dark stars, mm-hmm. it's kind of nice that, uh, you know, we see them again, especially since Zed was a former green lantern. Yeah. I guess there was someone out hunting green lanterns or yeah, Colas. I remember when we had our own book, <laughs> that was cool, wasn't it? Yeah, when we weren't relegated to little, you know, two-panel stories and, you know, a book that's doing far better than our book ever did. So, yes. but uh, and of course, this now correct me if I'm wrong. We know who this this character is, right? Yes, she is uh, uh, the one Ron Mars character who sticks around for a long time. I think even sticks around till today. Yeah, she is in. Uh, as far as I know. You know, again, because I'm not currently reading the Green Lantern titles in the New 52, I know at least up to the uh, changeover to the New 52, she was a member of the Star Sapphire Corps. Right. So, yes, we're getting the introduction of one of the big villains for uh, the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern right here. So this is a. Uh, this is pretty interesting, and this will run in, I think, a like a three or four issue story arc over the next yeah. couple issues. So, uh, and know, I think, like I said, she is. Pro- I think we we were safe in saying that she is the most successful of the Ron Mars creations. Oh, are you kidding me? Hair metal sonar isn't the best the best villain that's come out of the Ron Mars era. No, wait a minute. I thought he, but I thought he cut off his hair because he wanted to get grunge and all. Mm-hmm. Well, he was doing the same thing that uh, Hetfield from Metallica okay. was doing. You know, cut your hair short and pierce your body and stuff so yeah he did that uh but yeah the we get a nice cliffhanger ending that uh definitely makes you want to know what the heck's going on with this person who's shooting uh 
former Green Lanterns and, you know, whether or not this person that's going to come gunning for either the Green Lanterns of Earth, John and Guy, or even more so for Kyle. But, uh, yeah, a good book overall. I really enjoyed it. Yes. Like I said, this is one of my favorites because it, I, I think the thing is, it, it's basically it's a character piece. Mm-hmm. And it's really done well by Mars. And mm-hmm. it, it shows that you don't always have to have books that are a bunch of fighting or a bunch of uh, high-level drama or high-level action. You can have these sort of quiet one-off books where really nothing action-oriented happens and they still be really enjoyable reads. So uh, I think that's a credit, again, to Mars as a writer that he's able to pull off not only the the big action sequences and the big event things, but he can also pull off these little quiet stories every once in a while. But uh, if you don't have any more on this book, uh, I'm going to call this uh, done. Thomas, uh, it is always a pleasure, as you know, to have you on the show. Um, do you want to tell the people? I just worry. I just worry that the, the audience doesn't share your enthusiasm. I think the audience can, <laughs> the audience is, is if they are not enjoying your guest spots on the show, I don't know what to say to the stage in the audience. I, I love having you on the show. I have heard nothing but praise whenever you come into the show. So you are always welcome back anytime. Well, I think the next time I'm coming back is when, um, for that Kyle and Donna wedding, right? Oh, yeah. That should That's be coming, coming up real soon, too. That should be coming up really soon. I think after that three-issue arc, they're going to be having their wedding because everything will be you know, just perfectly peachy with them and all that. Yeah. yeah. But, um, well, actually, you know, we'll spoil this afterwards, but, you know, there might be a uh, – well, it might have happened prior to that. might have happened timey-wimey – wibbly wobbly might be on the show prior to this but uh i can't really do it we'll, we'll discuss that after we get to the uh <clears throat> get to you uh, telling everyone where they can find you on the internet and what you are doing currently well the biggest news of course is that by the time this comes out um new roads to hell the first shadow legion novel is available <laughs> after two years oh, of waiting but yes it's done um, it is available through Amazon, uh, CreateSpace, and Airship27.com. Definitely go seek that out, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, if you love uh, pulp heroes, if you love like period pieces, you know, like the Golden Age of Comics. This thing is for you. Um, features ten illustrations by Chris Kempel and a lovely cover by Mike Files. So, um, and there's going to be more, uh, we, there's a shadow legion short story coming up in mystery men and women nice. volume four and, uh, somewhere down the line soon, hopefully there'll be the shadow legion case book volume two, but get in the ground floor on this. Um, also of course, you know, better in the dark, damn your ears, damn your eyes. Um, football season is upon us. So I'll be, I'm doing my weekly column, uh, moves like Curtis on tricycleoffense.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you can hear my clueless expos- ex- exposition on the professional football season. So, and I'm not too hard to find. Of course, you will always be here arguing at the uh, Two True Freaks website with the uh, the irredeemable shag on episodes of Who True Freaks. Oh, that's right. Because we yes, I cannot wait till we record the next, which uh, uh, is not going to be out till October, right? Probably, yeah. It probably next, won't be out yeah. until October. We're going to be talking Where, about. 
get to talk about William Hartnell, pimp. <laughs> he is suave. Definitely <laughs> suave. <laughs> but All the uh, Aztecs let you go, ho. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> but Thomas, as always, it has been a joy to have you on the show. Oh, it's fun to be here, Sean. Thank uh, you so I, much for, for putting up with me all these times. No, this is this is completely and wholly awesome. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, kind of hinted at, there might be an actual interview coming up, maybe even prior to this episode being released, with the manliest man in comicdom. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I actually am going to talk later today as of recording time with Mr. Bo Smith and Iron Out of Time where Thomas and I are going to interview him about the Guy Gardner run. So if you haven't it's heard that, be a two-fisted time, people. You can count on it. We're going to drink some beers. We're going to find some bullies. We're going to beat them up. <laughs> But everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading the show. And be sure to come back next time for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Bye, everyone. Good night. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, or search for Two True Freaks, the new rule 2, and you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook, and now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Devonsacore contract. But it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Mafia Wars group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast. Have you ever seen Lair of the White Worm? Yes, I have. That is a... But he also did um, Excalibur. Lord went a-fishing once, a-fishing in the weir. And he called a fish a mighty fish that looks somewhat queer. But it's been so long since I've seen it. A very early performance by Hugh Grant. Actually, yeah. Now that you mention that, I do remember him being in there and like... God, that's a young. Oh my gosh, this film is so insane. I mean, but then again, I love Ken Russell because he is insane. See, we're supposed to be talking about a heartwarming story about (laughs) Kyle's first meeting with Donna's son, and here we are talking about gross Ken Russell movies.
Ah, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's a change of pace from our Doctor Who discussions. We That's usually true. 